You're listening to episode 70 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a holistic nutritionist and women's lifestyle coach living in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And here on the Room to Grow podcast, I bring you thoughts or guests in areas of nutrition, mindset, lifestyle, and entrepreneurship that will help you gain confidence so you can stress less and elevate yourself to create the life you love. We are not here to do things perfectly, but we are here to learn from each other and to grow with lots of self-love and compassion along the way. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. And today I have joining me pediatric doctor Orlina Carrick, and she is originally from the UK. She now lives in Spain with her four kids. And surprisingly, we are not talking about pediatric issues today. (laughs) So she previously um, had an entire business built around picky eating, especially for kids, but she's recently pivoted to a health life and weight loss coach. So we have some really interesting conversations here. She tells us a little bit about the identity crisis that she experienced when she first moved to Spain from from the UK and was switching from her career as a doctor to full-time mom while also starting an online business. That's a huge transition. We talk about sugar versus fat and why old beliefs about consuming fats might be holding you back from your goals. We talk about the differences between genetics and environment when it comes to our health and the massive impact that we can make in our own health through our lifestyle choices, as well as building awareness around emotional and mental health, how that correlates with our physical well-being, and truly just a lot of what this comes down to is showing yourself some kindness, and we get into that a lot as well. Really treating ourselves with compassion and how that can be the biggest factor that can shift how our, our journey with health actually goes. So I'm really excited to share this with you. And if, if you have any questions about today's episode, make sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. All the show notes will be over there and let's get going. I have a guest, Orlina Carrick today. Orlina, thank you so much for being here. It is a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. The pleasure is mine. This is so exciting. I, I love that a mutual friend of ours connected us and we jumped on the phone to chat and I just loved your perspective and, and knew that I had to have you on. But I love when when those kind of random introductions fall into my lap. So tell us a little bit about yourself and um, where you are located and how you ended up uh, doing what you're doing now. Well, I am originally from the United Kingdom, as you may be able to tell from my accent. <laughs> and I started life as a doctor. I was doing my pediatric training, but I always had this, this yearning, I think it was, that I did not want to live in England because it is cold and dark there. And I love sun and hot and warmth. So I spent a little bit of time working in Australia. But unfortunately, my husband didn't want to live in Australia. And we decided to move to Spain, which was, how can I put it, a little bit of one of those giant leaps where you kind of jump in with your eyes closed. As in, I had no idea really what was going to happen. So eight years ago, we moved to Spain and cut a very long story short. I had to stop being a doctor here. And I moved on to the online sphere, knowing absolutely nothing about online anything, really. And I did a little bit of work with um, parenting and helping parents with picky eaters because I had picky eaters of my own. And it was really interesting to me having had that training as a pediatrician. And now 
I am a health coach and I help people live a healthy life, which may be weight loss, but maybe just being healthy. I love that. So how do, how do you, that's a, that's a big jump, first of all, for you to, to jump over to Spain. How did you feel about, and I know without necessarily going into the whole story, how did you feel about stopping being a pediatrician and moving into a completely different realm? Because that, that's a big shift. Like not only then were you sort of experiencing culture shock um, just with your lifestyle, but also professionally too. That's huge. Yeah, it, it was huge. And I think on the surface, I was like a normal person, if that makes sense. But deep down, I just had this, this anguish, this turmoil that was going on inside me. And when I look back, I can really see that it was almost like a crisis of identity. I still identified as a doctor and I still wanted to be a doctor. And yet there I was with four small children. And, you know, I remember feeling so frustrated thinking, I didn't go to medical school for five years to decide what to cook you for dinner every day. That real, real frustration, which didn't surface often. Like if you came to see me, you wouldn't think, oh my goodness, she's struggling. Now I look back and I wonder if there was a little bit of depression. I think depression is one of those things like on the borderline that can be difficult to really decide. Is it normal sadness or is it depression? And I'm not talking about full-blown depression here. I clearly didn't have full-blown depression. But yeah, it was a total struggle and really difficult to build up a business. And it's taken me eight years really to get to where I am on and off. It wasn't eight years of nine to five. It was working part-time. But yeah, it was a struggle. It was a really big struggle. But now I feel that that struggle has really given me the tools that I need to help other people. I think that that's a really great sentiment for everyone to remember is that the struggles are kind of what shape us. And I can't imagine being in your shoes, not only trying to figure out your professional identity, but with four kids as well. Like that is no joke. Like <laughs> I'm thinking that you're, you're basically superwoman over there. <laughs> wow. Thank you. I tell you, I did not feel like superwoman in any way whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you have so many interesting things to share and such a cool background. I, I, I don't even know where I want to dive in first here. I, why don't we talk a little bit about, uh, just before we've jumped on, we were talking about the effect of sugar. And I would love to hear your perspective on that because I was giving a talk just the other day where I said to the group, you know, fat doesn't make us fat, sugar makes us fat. And it never ceases to amaze me that so many people are still shocked by that because we've been so brainwashed to believe that sugar, well, that, that fat is essentially the enemy. And yeah, we know that sugar, you know, in large quantities isn't great for us, but I don't think that we fully comprehend what it can do. So I would love to hear more from you on that. Yeah, totally. I think this is a really interesting question. And I think what we were saying earlier is we're in a really interesting time now where nutrition is really beginning to be investigated and we're beginning to see far more studies than have previously been done. And it is quite difficult to do nutritional studies for various reasons, not least because, you know, it's difficult to remember every day what you eat. So this question is really interesting. And I was telling you about this article that I shared on Facebook, which went absolutely bonkers on my very, very tiny page. This article basically said that around 50 years ago, when people were looking into or starting to look into what was a good diet, was it fat? Were fats good for us? Were they bad for us? Or was it sugar? And the sugar industries really got involved in a not very ethical way and really influenced 
the research that was done before it got published in the medical journals. And this really led to this idea that low sugar, sorry, low fat is bad for us and that carbohydrates are good for us. And that was the message that we were sold for a really long period of time. Now, I can share that link with you if you want to read that. And, you know, I don't think that there is, you can say 100% that that is exactly what happened because clearly it was a long time ago and the people involved are no longer around. So it's difficult to know the exact truth of that. But there is no doubt that we are now beginning to see that carbohydrates are not good for us. And this all comes down to that little hormone, insulin. And the metabolism of insulin is really, really interesting. But to cut a really long story short, basically too much sugar and carbohydrates gets converted to fat in our body. And we are beginning to see that the fat that we eat in our diet is not as bad for us um, in terms of heart disease. Now, not all fats are created equally. And there are some fats which you definitely want to avoid, like trans fatty acids. Those are definitely bad. But the good fats, things like olive oil and coconut oil, there is research coming out showing that actually more fats are good for us. And my favorite bit of research is the PREDIMED study. And in that, they divided people up and looked at their diet. And one of the things they looked at was the amount of fat that they, they gave them a diet to eat and said, you guys have to eat four tablespoons of olive oil a day. And this was compared to a low fat diet. Now, four tablespoons of olive oil, to me, seems like quite a lot of olive oil. And I think the reason it seems like a lot of olive oil to me is because I have grown up in this era of low fatness. Now, I've never eaten a low fat diet, but it just feels like, oh, so much. Now I've rethought this and think, wow, that's amazing. I love olive oil. It's so tasty and it's also good for me. That study showed that those people did actually lose more weight eating that olive oil than the people who had the low-fat diet. So it's really interesting. And I think we live in this time where there are loads of nutritional misconceptions that we need to, to clear up. Absolutely. And, and kind of the problem is that I think, I think my only concern is that when people hear something like this, then they also think that then they need to cut all carbohydrates because that's another really popular way of looking at things right now is going super low carb, uh, going basically the keto route. So fat, we, we know, isn't quite as villainized as it once was. People are starting to come around to that and it's becoming more mainstream knowledge. But then the other side of the coin is that then some people cut carbs down so low that they're struggling. They, they, some women might actually lose their periods, start losing their hair. They don't have enough energy. Um, they're, they're not getting very good quality sleep. All of these things can also be affected by low car, like going too low for carbohydrates. So what, where do we find the balance in that? Where, where, do, where do we sort of draw the line and figure out what's right for us? Well, I will say that nutrition is really personal and there are two reasons why nutrition is really personal. Firstly, the way our body reacts to what we eat is really interesting and different people react in different ways so for example some people are very very sensitive to gluten whereas others can tolerate gluten and i actually think the same is so for carbohydrates i suspect and i don't think this has really been proven that we have different levels of what we can tolerate and what we can't and the reasons behind this are just so many what your mother ate when she was pregnant what you were fed all of these things just combine to make a multitude of so many different varieties of what can affect your body. 
And the other reason I think nutrition is really personal is because we all have different likes and dislikes and what works for one person doesn't work for another person. So going back to your question about the ketogenic diet, now I am definitely not an expert on ketogenic diets, partly because I know that I wouldn't like to eat a ketogenic diet. It does work for some people and in some circumstances it can work. Now there are also different sort of levels of ketogenic diet, if that makes sense. So I think there's a bit of experimentation that needs to be done, but I would recommend sticking to sort of, how can I put this, sensible guidelines. And I really think that, you know, if you're seeing things like your periods coming, you know, stopping, then those are really warning signs that something is not right and you aren't getting the nutrients that your body needs. When your body starts to malfunction, it's because something's gone wrong and you have to pay attention to that. Mm, I think that's such wise advice. I mean, that's what I, I always tell people too, is that we are such individuals and what works for one is not going to work for another, right? So we have to be able to experiment, but a lot of us don't like taking the time to do that because we just want someone to tell us that, that quick fix, that, that one thing that's going to be the, the magic life-changing thing that will work for us. And it takes time. Like it takes effort. It's it's what we have to be willing to do for ourselves to make the shift. I mean, in, in that sort of same vein, there's also a lot of arguments that are made about how much of our health is controlled by our genes versus how much we can control of it ourselves. What's your take on that? Another really interesting question. And I have seen some interesting statistics. So I have seen somewhere that somebody said that 95% of illness is caused by our environment, which basically is saying is not genetic. So by our environment can be, you know, infection and things like that. Now I Googled it just before um, we came online because I knew that you were going to ask me this. And I think really between 70 and 90% is a more realistic figure, although it can be difficult, I guess, to gauge. But if we're looking at genetic illnesses, there are different degrees of genetic illnesses. So without getting too complicated, but you know, if you have a genetic, genetic illness, a lot of them are going to be seen in childhood. And then you may have a genetic predisposition to something like, you know, if your family, if you've got a family history of this, that means you're more likely to have something. And there are certain illnesses that, you know, the medical profession want to know if, you have that because they can do something for about it. So for example, take Angelina Jolie, who had the BRCA um, gene and her mother died of breast cancer. So she took the very, I think, brave and wise decision to have um, a mastectomy so that she couldn't get breast cancer. But those cases are really few and far between. And the vast majority of illness is caused by what we eat and our lifestyle. And the other thing is, we can't control our genes, other than those very, very rare cases. The majority of genetic things, we just can't control anyhow. So there's not really much point in worrying about it, because worrying about it isn't going to change it. But we are totally in control of what we eat, and we're totally in control of how much exercise we do, and we're totally in control of our lifestyle. And by lifestyle, I mean so many things, including emotional well-being and mindfulness and all of those things, all of it combined. And sleep, you mentioned sleep, all of these things combine to give us our healthy life. I think that's so true. And I mean, digging into the lifestyle factors portion of that a little bit more, I, I always love talking about this topic because I saw something recently on Instagram where it was something about um, you can 
you can do all the right exercises, you can eat all the right things and take all the right supplements, but unless you're taking care of your mental and emotional health, you still won't be healthy. And that I think that that is starting to become a little bit more mainstream knowledge, but a lot of people don't know how to change that because it's one thing to change something more tangible in terms of how we eat or how we work out, but it can be a lot more difficult to know where to start when it comes to shifting our emotional health and uh, mental well-being. How do we kind of start to change that a little bit for the better? I know it's so interesting and I find this really really interesting how does our brain work and how do we look at our brain using our brain like it's really complicated right because we want to have this tool which is our brain to work out how to manage our brain and it's almost like we have different parts of our brain I think there is so much you can do and I think different things work for different people so you can look at mindfulness which could be meditation um, and do different mindfulness activities but I think really the bottom line is becoming aware of it and becoming aware of yourself and i always think it's a really useful exercise to see yourself from the outside and think what is going on there and just observe and the more awareness you have then you can start changing things you can start working out how to change things but if you're totally unaware of something then you obviously can't change it by design because you're not aware of it I think that's really wise advice, actually. I mean, they, they always kind of, it, that, that old saying is sort of that awareness is, is the first key. And I, I think that's so true, especially in this instance, because we have to be able to step outside ourselves just enough, which is a lot easier said than done. Um, but we have to be able to, to do that. And, and if we feel like maybe we aren't in the best position to do that, maybe we need to look at the people closest to us to ask them for some honest opinions, if we trust their, their opinion, some really honest opinions about how they view us, because that can sort of lend someone else's observation and give a little bit different perspective as to what the outside world sees. Not that that's always necessarily accurate too, but it can be a great place to start, I think. Yeah, totally. And I think the other thing that I would say is emotions. And I think emotions are one of these things that we just need to get the balance right. So I, for example, have two small children. I have twins who are six years old. And oh my goodness, they know how to express their emotions. <laughs> <laughs> and they scream and they shout a lot. But on the reverse, I think a lot of people actually aren't in contact with their emotions and they try to hide their emotions. And this can obviously lead to things like emotional eating or drinking or whatever your vice is. It doesn't really matter. But we get to this stage where we're so scared of an emotion that we want to run away from it. And actually, the trick is to allow that emotion to be there, to feel that discomfort or whatever it is without being overwhelmed by it, as my children are. And that is tricky. It's definitely not easy. It's very, very easy to say, oh, yes, it's, you know, let's do that. But when you're actually there, it's difficult. And I always say it's a bit like being on a river, the river of emotions. And you've got a little raft and you can either be swept away by all these emotions and just get carried wherever the current takes you. Or you can learn to manage your emotions and by that, I don't mean running away from them. I mean this balance. And then you can steer your way through the river without being swept away. 
And sometimes we might need help with that too. That's why I'm, I'm such a huge fan of, of telling people to, you know, reach out to, to someone, reach out to a friend, reach out to a counselor or therapist, something like that. We've talked about therapy before on, on this podcast. I'll, I'll definitely uh, reference those in the show notes. And I think that it's really important to keep that in mind. And again, I, I'm loving that therapy is becoming more, I, I hate to keep using this word, but more mainstream, like because we are just talking about mental health more than we have ever before. And there is still stigma associated with it. But I think that people are starting to figure out just how important mental health is and not feeling quite so ashamed about what they might need to do to get that in check, to feel more in balance in that side of, of their life and their health, because it is part of your health. It's really hard to take care of the rest of you if your emotional and physical, if your emotional and mental health is not on point. Yeah, that's, that's so true. What do you feel like needs to change most about our mindset when it comes to our health specifically? So what I mean by that is like, basically, how do we start to, to shift our mindset when it comes to things like how to eat and how to exercise or, you know, how do we start to create some of those habits? Because that, that's the part where people struggle is being consistent with that, right? You can have a really great day where you eat everything you feel like you were supposed to be eating and you feel great. And then within four or five days, it's like you've fallen off the wagon and you're having trouble getting back on. Yeah, totally. I would say healthy living and eating is a marathon and not a sprint. And I think the way you need to do this is you need to come up with a plan. So unfortunately, you need to make sure you don't pay buy into those misconceptions because you know, I think a lot of people in the past, they thought, oh, I'm going to eat loads of carbohydrates and I'll be really healthy. So unfortunately for them, they had the wrong plan. So it is important to have the right plan. And then you need to think about what's going to happen. And when we make a plan, we have to struggle with our subconscious mind. So 95% of what our mind does is subconscious. And that basically means habits, which, you know, our brain likes to be efficient. It likes to make shortcuts if it possibly can do that but our prefrontal cortex the thinking bit can override that and what happens is we make this decision and we go right i'm going to i don't know go for a walk every single day and then when we get to take a walk our less developed brain goes now nah, i can't be bothered to do this and you have this dichotomy between you know two parts of your brain one of them going we're doing this and the other going now nah, i'm not going to do that so I think it's about understanding that, like you really have to understand yourself too. And I think one of the main things that really motivates people or should motivate people is that our health is really in our hands. There is so much that we can do. And we, I think people think, oh, it's a foregone conclusion. I'm going to get old and I will, I don't know, get heart disease or this or, or whatever it is. But that's not true. It's really not true. If you look at the statistics, and look at you know how much heart disease we have and then look at all the sites like the WHO they say things like this disease is connected to lifestyle and that basically means if you lead a healthy life in terms of healthy eating and healthy living you can live a long long life now obviously you can't say that 100% to everyone and you don't know exactly what's going to happen but the vast majority of us it does matter what we do and all these little things they really really do count and it really is worth eating healthy and doing the veg, um, doing the exercise and living the lifestyle. 
That's really crucial. Motivation is what I'm talking about. Yes. And that's the part that, again, people, people tell me all the time that whether it's building a business or their health, they are struggling the most with motivation and consistency. Consistency being the really tough part because when the motivation dries up, it's a lot harder to be consistent. <laughs> and yeah, we, totally. And we talked about this compound effect, you know, where you do these small things and it's almost like, well, I can't see the point in doing it because that small thing isn't going to make any difference, whether it is doing your podcast or writing a blog post or walking for 10 minutes. But I think the way you get around that is you think about that in the long term, in a year's time. If I have this habit for a year, whether that habit you do on a daily basis or a weekly basis or monthly, it doesn't matter. But if I have that habit in a year's time, will it have made any difference? And if the answer is yes, then it's worth doing. I think that's really wise advice too, because we have to focus on I I mentioned this in another uh, podcast episode recently, and I know you and I talked about this when we spoke the other day too, about, um, I was telling you about James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, and he has a a really awesome website with all kinds of incredible articles and stuff too. I'll I'll link that in the show notes as well. And he's always talking about the 1%, that just a 1% difference, if you could make that 1% last, as opposed to trying to change everything in a huge way overnight, that 1% is going to have that compound effect. So if you can just get 1% better each day, and that doesn't seem nearly as daunting as trying to do 180 with your entire life, then that is what's going to make the biggest difference over the longest period of time. I love that. I have to check out his website and his book. I didn't get a chance to check it out since we talked last time. So good. So good. I'm probably going to end up doing an entire episode just on uh, just on some of the, the ideas that he introduces in there, because I, I just think that they're incredibly valuable and that they can be applied to so many different facets of our life, whether it's our health, our business, whatever it is, it's focusing on that 1% is going to be crucial for the consistency factor because motivation does not last. Like people say that they're not motivated. The most successful people in the world aren't necessarily motivated every day. Like, I don't know anyone who, who is motivated every day, but they have to have like we have to have a, a bigger goal, bigger vision that we're working towards than just something either monetary from a business standpoint or you know, just like a number on the scale from the point of, of health. We have to come up with something a little bit bigger and more meaningful than that because on the days where you don't feel as motivated, that is what is going to get you to the gym. That's what's going to get you to your computer to write that blog post. Those, those are the things that are going to make the biggest difference in the longest period of time. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I would say as well is being kind to yourself is really important. And I see this for people who do diets and they do diets in this, I'm going to deprive myself kind of way. And I don't think that ever really works, but you have to make these changes out of a place of love for yourself. And when I say out of a place of love. I don't mean, okay, so I love myself so much, I'm going to eat a piece of chocolate cake. That's kind of self-indulgent. And that isn't the best thing for you, or it may not be the best thing for you. I don't think chocolate cake needs to be excluded entirely, but it's not that indulgent, oh, I'm feeling tired, so I'm going to do nothing. It's thinking about what is the best thing for you, whether that is doing your blog post or your whatever, or doing how you eat or how you exercise. But it needs to come from I love myself and I respect myself and therefore I'm going to do the best thing I can for myself. 
I'm really happy you met, you brought that up actually, because it, that is so common, particularly with diets is that we we're going on these super restrictive diets because we hate ourselves. Or we hate a particular part of our body, or we're just, we, we don't feel worthy or we, we feel like, you know, this, this other thing will change in our life because we lose X amount of weight. Like I'll be happy if I can lose 25 pounds or something like that. And that really isn't the point. We have to be doing, looking at it from the perspective of, you know, what, what, how would I treat myself if I loved myself? Like if you loved yourself, would you be sitting around on the couch all day watching TV and eating cupcakes or would you be moving your body? Would you be eating in a really healthy way to nourish yourself as opposed to feeding yourself things that are going to end up making you sick in the longer term? That, that's a really a completely different shift and a mindset shift that can absolutely mean the difference between making those changes stick and just doing something temporary like a diet that is just going to fall off again in a few weeks. Yeah, I always say you should treat yourself as you would treat others. And I think we wouldn't have that mean voice in thinking about other people, we would always be kind to other people. So why aren't we kind to ourselves? Such a great point. Such a great point. Like, would, would, we talk to, would we talk to our best friend the way we talk to ourselves? I always come back to that example as well, because there's so many times where we have that, that negative loop going on in our head and we're berating ourselves for one thing or another. And then if you really think about what you're saying to yourself, would you ever say that to anyone in your life that you, care, that you cared about? Probably not. Like I would probably be horrified <laughs> if, if somebody said to me the things that I have said to myself in the past. We have to, again, I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about awareness and having that awareness and catching yourself as those negative thoughts come into your head is really going to be the first step towards changing that conversation that you're having with yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So important. How do you feel like you see people going the wrong direction when it comes to their health and their goals? Like, is there anything other than some of the things that we've already talked about, like being a little bit too extreme and not caring for emotional health and like negative self-talk? Do you see other things that are really coming up that are holding people back? I think the extreme thing is interesting. And I think getting balance is right. And I think it can be really difficult because, you know, you start doing things. And I do think that healthy living and eating is kind of a journey. And so you make these habits and then you build on those habits. So don't expect to change everything all at once. You don't think, okay, I'm going to just change my entire life. That doesn't work, but you may make changes in a year year's time and a year's time and a year's time. But I do think that balance is important and that you don't want to overdo it. And I think, you know, that comes back to being kind to yourself, doesn't it? Like just getting that balance right of, am I doing this out of a place of love or am I pushing myself too hard? Am I denying myself everything? And does this small thing really make a difference? Mm, that's so good. I think that that's so important to, to really keep in mind and not, maybe not sweating the small stuff as much too, right? I, I feel like I kind of got that from part of what you were saying was that when we, when we focus on, you know, is this actually making a difference that can not only reinforce the, the small habits that really are going to make a difference. That's also going to help weed out some of the things that we're, we might be really hanging on to that aren't actually serving us at all. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, so interesting. Or, or Lena, tell us a little bit about where we can find you and connect with you and your work. I know you have a podcast as well. I'd love to hear more about all of that because this has just been so, so helpful. Oh, thank you so much. Well, my website is drlina.com. It's relatively new and I have a podcast called Fit and Fabulous because although I'm really keen on avoiding disease, I also think that feeling fit and fabulous is amazing. And I think all of these tools make us feel fit and fabulous. And I think we should just feel fit and fabulous. Why shouldn't we? And I also do a weekly class, which I'm just starting up and I'm super excited about. So that's going to be every Thursday morning. And I'm afraid for people in Canada, it's going to be sometime in the middle of the night, but there will be a replay. So I'll be doing that on a weekly basis. That's very exciting. I love that. That's awesome. And I do have just one more question. If you could offer people one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? Just keep going and keep working on it. And I think it's a really fluid thing. I think don't beat yourself up. This idea of looking at yourself, but with objectivity rather than beating yourself up and thinking, this is where I am now and I'm fabulous and tomorrow is going to be even better and the next day is going to be even better and just keep going just keep doing it and enjoy the journey it's amazing oh such beautiful advice i really love that a lot oh my gosh thank you so much alina it's been an absolute pleasure (laughs) thank you thanks so much for listening to the room to grow podcast today all show notes and references can be found over at roomtogrowpodcast.com and can you do me one huge favor before you go though? If you can take a, take a screenshot of this episode and tag me on social media, I would absolutely love to see who's listening and get to connect with you and thank you. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would go a long way and make such a huge difference. It really helps to get the word out there, get more amazing guests on the show and helps to get all of this information out to the world. Looking forward to growing with you.